Hello everyone and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn, a mom of two, a teacher, a writer, blogger, and a podcaster, and you are listening to episode 42 of the show. Today in my favorite things, I'm going to be talking about a great nonfiction book as well as a movie that I just saw. In the lifestyle segment, I'm going to be talking about some ways to display meaningful items in your home. And then my special guest today is Kelly Keene. She is a finance educator and she has just written a really good book called Talk Money to Me. And she is here to help us get our finances on track for 2020. So make sure you stick around for that. Kicking things off with a couple of my favorite things. First is the brand new book from Cynthia Loist. You may know her as a co-host of The Social on CTV. She was also one of my very first guests here in episode two of This Mom Loves and has been very much a friend to the show and the blog and was the first host from The Social that I actually interviewed way back when the show began. She has an awesome new book out called Find Your Pleasure, The Art of Living a More Joyful Life. And it's kind of like a coffee table book in the sense that it's full of beautiful color photography. You get a little glimpse of her husband and her son who she doesn't show an awful lot um, on social media and all sorts of great tips. She does have a website called Find Your Pleasure and she's got different sections. So live, love and inspire and then different things within those like friends and family, home, parenting, love yourself, dating and relationships. There is a little part about sex. She is a sex educator as well. Um, likes to promote sexual pleasure. I'm all for it. I don't talk about it myself on the show or on the blog, as you may have noticed. And there were only a couple little parts in the book that made me blush. So in case you're thinking that's kind of the whole direction of the book, it's not at all. There's also creativity, wandering, kindness. So tons and tons of tips, little stories about her own life. You want to get to know Cynthia better as well. And you just kind of walk away from the book feeling more little more empowered, like you've got a bit more of a toolkit to kind of add some pleasure to your life in all of those different areas. So find your pleasure, the art of living a more joyful life by Cynthia Loist. You're going to want to pick that one up. Usually on the show, I don't talk too much about movies because I record episodes a little bit in advance. And then by the time they come out, the movie might be gone and what have you. But uh, I'm quite sure that when this episode is released on New Year's Day 2020, the movie Bombshell will still be in theaters. I just saw it. I highly recommend it. So it's the story of the whole Fox, Roger Ailes, his fall from grace with sexual harassment um, allegations. I don't know if you call them allegations once they've been proven, but because of his sexual harassment of employees. And Charlize Theron plays Megan Kelly. Nicole Kidman plays Gretchen Carlson. Margot Robbie is in it as well. Um, and I had followed the story, you know, here and there when it all kind of went down and there were definitely things I didn't know about it, but the writing is excellent. Like right down to the very last word of the movie, I was kind of like, oh, that was a good, a good way to end it. Um, the acting is really, really good. I loved seeing a lot of actors who I think would normally take bigger roles have little roles in this movie and I almost feel like it's it's purposeful. People wanted to be part of this. They wanted to be part of getting the story out there, even if it was not quite the, the top billing that they might usually get. So that was great too. So the movie Bombshell, I would definitely recommend. Next up in the lifestyle segment, I want to talk to you a little bit about some ways to display meaningful items in your home. So if you, you know, follow my social media or anything like that, you probably see a lot. I don't like a lot of stuff and I'm always decluttering and getting rid of things. And if I have things out in my home, I usually like them to have some meaning. 
So, you know, I have a lot of family photos up, even at holiday time. That's what some of my decorations are, like Halloween photos of the girls from the past or a photo of the girls on Valentine's Day or, you know, Christmas photos past of my own, you know, um, current immediate family, but also like my brother and I on Santa Claus's lap or that sort of thing. So, you know, displaying that kind of stuff. But uh, even canvases, I've used Poster Jack. This is not sponsored, but uh, different canvases made of nice photos of the kids. We have one downstairs of the two of them that uh, they did not pose for, but it was a Thanksgiving Day walk we took on a path, and you know, the leaves are out and everything. And I just took a picture of them from behind. They had their arms around each other, and Olivia's kind of got the Cabbage Patch doll hanging out over the side, and just, you know, really cute. So I wanted to capture that. In the music room, I actually got framed canvases done, a picture of the two of them kind of standing singing and then one of Olivia with the guitar and one of Eva on the piano. So that kind of decorated the music room. Um, and it's easy if you have some sort of display area in your house. Like we have a buffet and a hutch with glass doors that I can put things behind. So for example, right now I have um, a pretty little set of plates that are from my great-grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. And um, it's actually the great-grandma Celestia, who I'm middle-named after. And so it's kind of special to have some of those things. Um, Above the TV downstairs, there's sort of a narrow spot on the wall up above. And when we renovated the downstairs, what we actually found was this beautiful, I don't know what you'd call it exactly, but piece of art. And it's got a wedding quote from, and it was a reading done at our wedding. Now, if you've watched The Wedding Crashers or have gone to any weddings yourself, you probably know we're not that unique in having it, but the love is patient, love is kind reading was one at our wedding. And so it's got kind of that bit of quote on there. So again, it's not just some random piece of art. Now, to be fair, to be honest, I do have some random things. For example, at the bottom of our stairs, there's a nice black and white canvas of a woman on a little, you know, old fashioned street. And the only color in it is her yellow umbrella that kind of pops off the off the piece of art and I bought that pretty much because we were using yellow accents in the basement. So I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm always so deep and meaningful, but two things that I have done specifically and have gotten a lot of great feedback when I've posted about them. One is I've taken one of my grandma's doilies. So this is my maternal grandmother. She's amazing at sewing and all, all sorts of different types of needlework. I took one of her doilies and had it framed, or framed it myself, I should say. It's not like I had it framed. So I got a square frame and then what I used for a background was some wrapping paper because I was going to put it up in Eva's room and so just kind of it's a pink with polka dots or something that would match her color scheme. So just dollar store wrapping paper as the background and then put the white doily on top and then put the frame on and it looks really nice. I'll make sure to put some pictures of these in the show notes. Um, this is episode 42 again if you want to look that up on, on my website. But um, so it's just kind of meaningful because as much as I love the beautiful doilies and certainly want to hold on to them, they don't kind of fit in my house, you know, the way people might traditionally use doilies underneath things or whatever, but it was a really nice way to still have it displayed. I actually got the idea from a, a City Line segment that I watched way back at one point. I think I was on maternity leave. And another one that I've done is actually something of my other grandmother's, my, my grandma Leahy. I had, I got one of her recipes and it's actually her her famous recipe for her Christmas pudding and handwritten on old paper, really nice. And again, I framed that and I have it sitting on the, the buffet in our kind of living dining room area. Um, before we renovated our kitchen, 
we had a different color scheme. So I had sort of a brownish antique looking frame around it. And then when we changed things up, I got one that's more kind of gray and silver. So you can just switch out the frames as you need to. But people always kind of remark on that. They'll notice it. No, what's that? And who, who wrote that out and whatever. And so another nice way to sort of have some things displayed. So again, I'll have um, information about that in the show notes, thismumloves.ca slash podcasts. Go to episode 42 and you can find more out about that. But it might be a way to uh, add a little more meaning um, to your home in the new year. If you are looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves and on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. My website is thismomloves.ca. There's a blog there as well as pages for my you know, print articles, my TV segments and interviews that I've done um, where I have interviewed other people for the blog as well, if that's something that you're interested in checking out. And also I have just launched the This Mom Loves Virtual Book Club. You can look for that on Facebook, This Mom Loves Virtual Book Club. This month we are reading The Gift of Failure by Jessica Leahy. And if you're listening to this podcast right when it comes out, the beginning of January 2020, you can jump on in and join us because um, that's the book we're reading for this month. On the 15th of each month, I'll be announcing the next month's selection. So again, you can join us at any time. You will be welcome and you can uh, just pick up wherever it is that we are um, reading a book that month. My special guest today is Kelly Keene. She is a personal finance educator, speaker, media personality. You may have seen her on the Marilyn Dennis Show, among other places, and also an author. She is here to share financial advice to get us off to the best start in 2020 and to talk about her new book, Talk Money to Me, Save Well, Spend Some, and Feel Good About Your Money. Welcome, Kelly, and Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year. Great to be with you, Kate. There are a lot of finance experts out there. What do you think you did to help set you apart to become such a respected author and a media go-to? Oh, well, that's kind. Um, I mean, I'm always working at it. I, I think what really sets me apart from maybe some of the um, the newer people in, in the market is that I really was in the financial industry. I was in the financial industry for 12 years. Um, for a, a good portion of that, I dealt with very high net worth individuals and the reason that I say that is because there's more complexity uh, when it comes to someone that has a lot of money, let's say. But what's really interesting, Kate, was when I was in the financial industry, you, especially during my banking days, I got to see people's net worth statements. And why that's interesting is because sometimes people are not doing quite as well as everyone thinks that they are. And mm -hmm. unless you got to see that net worth statement, uh, you wouldn't, in fact, know that. So um, I was in the industry for 12 years. For the last 15 years, I have been out of the financial industry. I don't provide coaching or advice or anything of that sort. Um, I've really been working on, on books and research and, and educating um, Canadians on all matters of finance uh, as an educator. Um, and then just working with a number of, of government organizations and things of that sort. I think when you've been around for 27 years, as I have been in some way, shape or form, um, certainly my, my breadth of experience, I think, uh, separates me a little bit. I mean, everyone, there's a lot of great finance experts out there and I respect all of them and they all have a different message for their audience. So I think just, um, you know, aligning with the person that, uh, that speaks, speaks to you. And in your book, you bring up the huge issue of people not wanting to talk about money. So most of my listeners are moms. How can we get past that and especially talk to our partners and even our kids about money more comfortably? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, part of it just starts with talking about it. Yeah, the back of the book says, why is it that we know more about what happens in our friends' bedrooms than when it comes to their finances? And it's true, right? Like, it's like, it's, we don't know our, our can you ask what your friend paid for their car? Uh, they're selling their house. Would it be okay to ask them that or what they paid for their vacation? Like, we don't know the rules. We don't know how to do it. So um, we do in the book, I do have a six step conversation for couples to get on the same page. But for example, it could just be something as simple as look, um, maybe you've never talked to your spouse about money. Uh, maybe you've never talked to your friends about money. So how do you even broach the topic? It, it's something as simple as maybe asking a question like, what does money mean to you? And just asking, you know, a person, hey, I was listening to what, Kate's podcast and we're talking about money. What does money mean to you? And then let that person kind of like mull it over, drill it down. And usually, usually what I found over the years is that what two answers start to, um, you know, be apparent as, as common denominators. And that's freedom and security. And, and what often happens is we often have friends that have the same views about money as we do. And we often find spouses that are very, very different. So for example, if you think money equals freedom and your spouse thinks money equals security, there may be some friction there because one wants to spend the money, one wants to save the money. Um, but it's just a great way to start off a conversation, I think, in a safe environment. And you have a key line in the book that really uh, resonated with me because it's not what you hear from a lot of uh, finance educators. I'm not going to ask you to create a budget. So what is up with that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think budgets are like diets. I think that, um, you know, especially in the new year that we're really excited to do them and and we have great great, um, intentions. And then what happens is it's really restrictive. People fall off and then they feel worse and sometimes even revert back to to a a place that's worse off than where they were before. Now, I should preface saying, Kate, that for for those that do use budgets and love spreadsheets, that's fantastic. I love those people and I learn from them. But I myself don't like budgets. I think they're too constrictive. So what I've prescribed to readers for um, a long time, and, and it's in this book as well, is something called my 30-day anti-budget. So what does that mean? Um, I actually get my, my husband to do this with me twice a year, and for 30 days, we just track all of our financial calories. I know a lot of people that want to lose weight this year and get in better shape, they're going to track their calories. It's super, super important. Now, your financial calories are just as important. If you bank with one bank and use one credit card or one debit card, the bank will do a lot of that tracking for you. But if you actually get a pen and paper and track your expenses or you do it online, you still need to be a financial detective. I want you to dig in. What are you paying for your cell phone plan, your internet, your car and auto insurance? And then at the end of 30 days, you look at, now hopefully while you've been doing this, it's been an exercise in behavioral change. Because what a lot of readers report to me is that even as they're tracking their financial calories, they're starting to be more mindful, they're thinking of their spending. And then at the 30 days, you create your categories. Where is your money going? Um, How much is going for entertainment and and eating out, things of that sort? And there's no judgment. It's about choice and awareness. And did you know where your money is going? For example, maybe excess um, subscriptions. I know that's something my husband and I juggle with. Uh, eating out bottled water, and 
then what you want to do is, is times that by 12, because at the end of the year, a lot of people are like, you know, I didn't have enough money for a vacation or to invest in an RSP or what have you, but maybe just maybe that money was actually there. It was just going to places that you didn't think it was. Um, so it really can be fun and empowering and it's, you know, not something you have to stick to all year long. I just ask people do it at least once or twice a year. And, uh, most people actually when uh, Kate, one guy that did it, he had a ton of money. He didn't even need to do the empty budget. And he reported to me that he revealed he was spending $3,200 a year on diet Coke, <laughs> which uh, wasn't good for his pocketbook or his health. And so he was like, you know, I'm going to buy a $200 soda stream. And, uh, and it was just like a great exercise for him too. That's a lot of Diet Coke. Okay. So you also write about the connection between money and happiness. So what correlation have you seen and what misconceptions do you think people have when it comes to that relationship? Yeah. And that's kind of a loaded question because we really do think that money will bring more happiness. And there was a study that was done that revealed that, you know, if you're, let's say earning $10,000 a year, and then you're up to $20,000 a year, you will exponentially be more happy. And then up to $30,000 a year, and it keeps going where each 10,000 per year increment in income means that you're more and more and more happy. But then a very curious thing happens where it levels out at around $75,000, that once you hit $75,000, you really are not going to be any more happy um, with more money. And we've seen this with lottery uh, winners as well, that you know, everyone dreams about winning the lottery, or most people do as well, thinking that it's going to solve all of their money problems. But really, in reality, whatever your baseline of happiness is, in around six months after winning the lottery, you return back. So if you're a really happy person, it's going to make you even more happy for about six months. If you're a sad person, it's going to make you happy for about six months. But after that six-month period, you get used to it. It doesn't make you any more happy. So it's just really getting you know, uh, so, like uh, understanding that if you're, you know, below a certain amount of income, yeah, money is like air. It suffocates you if you um, are just, or the lack of it suffocates you if you are just paying your bills, trying to keep a roof over your house, trying to feed your kids. But at a certain point, we don't need to chase that much more. So I think the takeaway in, in that lesson is in the book is to really you know, look at what is that dollar amount for you and your family, do everything you can possible to get there, and then realize that the excess isn't just, it's not going to do that much more to increase your level of happiness. Now, I am a huge proponent of online banking. I mean, e-transfers, depositing checks using my phone. It's also convenient and I love it. But I know there are a lot of people out there who are still really wary about it. So how safe is all of that? And how can we protect ourselves if we do like to look after finances online? Yes, I, Kate, I'm like you. I remember when the mobile check deposit came, I was like, wow, mind blown, right? Yeah. Didn't have to go to the bank. It's fantastic. So Here's what you need to know. Um, Canadian banks are incredibly safe. They are working so hard to protect our data. Now, we have to make sure that we are also doing our part. So in the event of a, of a data breach, a fraud, or what have you, that we're covered. So when you're using your, um, your online banking, um, any of those, those services with your bank, um, you are 100% protected. Here's a couple caveats. Obviously, do not use free Wi-Fi. Um, this is where you definitely can get hacked when you're maybe 
you know, out and about um, at a coffee shop or something of that sort, don't start going onto your online banking or making purchases revealing your credit card information. If you really need to do that, shut the Wi-Fi off, shut your Bluetooth off, and just use your data. Okay, so then you also want to make sure that you're doing things like, you know, not sharing your PIN with your spouse or kids or parents. Um, if you do need to have your children or someone in your life make purchases on your behalf, maybe an assistant or someone in your life, get them a supplementary credit card on your account. Do not ever give your actual debit card or credit card to anyone and your PIN. And the reason is, is that you then are going to nullify your fraud protection with your bank or credit card company. So if something comes back and it turns out that it's fraudulent and they can prove that you actually revealed your PIN, you may not be covered. So you want to be super careful with that. And then very lastly, Kate, I also want to say that using apps is great. Like third-party apps, there's lots of different apps out there promising to help us with our finances. I want you to be really careful with those apps. If they're a budgeting app that's just kind of helping you with day-to-day -day stuff, that's fine. But if it's an app that's asking you to link any of your investment accounts or your bank accounts or your credit card accounts to give you a real-time picture, that is going to nullify the fraud protection with your bank. So I'll say that again. If you're using a third-party app that's not your bank, it's not your credit card uh, company, uh, and they're linking into your personal accounts, I would highly encourage you to be very careful and maybe not use those because if you are a victim of fraud later on and the bank credit card company finds out that you use those, it does nullify the terms and conditions of your agreement and you may not be protected from fraud. That is great information, Kelly. Thanks. So I have a question next from one of my listeners. So she says, my husband does all our banking and bills and I like this arrangement. When I ask, he's upfront and forthcoming, but it just doesn't interest me. Would you advise, advise against this arrangement? And what information do I need to know in case of emergency? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, for me personally, of course, I'm a financial geek. I think that uh, two things in our life are, are incredibly, the most important things in our life are our financial health and our health health, our wellness. And I, I think abdicating those responsibilities 100% to anyone can be a little bit dangerous. I guess I've just seen the other side of it where if there's a death or a divorce or something of that sort, that person is really left in the dark. Of, I, I, I mean, like, where, where do you bank? Do you have life insurance or not? Are there RSPs? Do you have TFSAs? Um, do you have multiple bank accounts? I think if she's only checking in with her spouse once in a while, um, that, that certainly can be dangerous. So what do you do? Uh, something that we look at in the book as well is creating like a binder of, and it doesn't have to have the passwords and actually in fact shouldn't, but a little snapshot of your life in the event that something happened to you or your loved one. So for example, uh, do you have a lawyer? Do you have a, a financial planner, a banker? What accounts do you have? Do you have life insurance? Excuse me. Just getting over a little cold here. Um, do you have life insurance at work? What kind of benefits do you have? Because, Kate, when I was in the financial industry and something would happen to maybe someone's parent or a loved one, uh, maybe they had a business card of mine or, or maybe an old application and they're desperately reaching out to find out is there money here or there or assets or what have you. Um, as you can appreciate, it's a horrible time to have to be trying to just figure out your financial life. So I really encourage your, your, your listener, your reader to, while things are good and while things are stable, to sit down and get on the same page and at least find out what they have. 
um, and where it's at. And my listeners are mainly moms. So I'm also wondering what you think the biggest financial mistakes are that moms make when they're raising kids. Well, I'm not sure if it's mistakes. You know, we're all trying to figure out, like, what do we do and when do we do it? I, in fact, wrote another entire book on talking to your kids about money because it's it's a really big issue. But if, if there were something I'd want moms to really know about is to, you know, Again, look at the connection between financial well-being and well-being with your health. You know, we know now to not punish children with food, right? To not reward or punish them. And, and, and the same goes when it comes to money, to not reward or punish your child with money, to really help them understand that money is a tool that like food, it can fuel your life, it can add to it. It's a wonderful thing maybe pulling out currencies, using it as a math lesson and really empowering your child to understand that um, you don't magically get money when you're an adult, right? Uh, That's why I think it's great if you can help your kids figure out ways that they can earn more money in their life, maybe selling their old toys online or helping out raking the leaves or, you know, helping with the snow or things of that sort that really, you know, we don't lose or gain money in life because we're good or bad. It's because of a job that we did or didn't do. Um, so I think that that's maybe one of the most important lessons for moms to really drill down on. Now, personally, my daughters are 13 and 11, and we started a family RESP account when my, my older daughter was born. Now, my husband and I both paid our own way through university and teacher's college. We want that for the girls. We want them working for their educations, but it just seems like post-secondary is so expensive now. So mm-hmm. what kind of information do you have on what to expect with costs and what parents should know about RESPs? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly that the, the estimated numbers of moving forward, they just keep growing every year. So one number I wanted to bring to you um, is this was a Globe and Mail article talking about that the average graduating uh, Canadian student has an average debt burden of $27,000. This was a 2015 survey, and it takes them on average 10 years to pay that back, according to the Canada Student Loan Program. So you know, young people have so much going against them. They're facing record high um, housing. Like, you know, I think it's almost like expected that you're coming up with a post-secondary um, degree where I'm not sure how old you are, Kate, but when you and I came out, like, uh, you know, a degree almost guaranteed you a job. That is not in fact the case at all today. So uh, the RESP is a wonderful tool. Um, you know, there's the, 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 the matching grant that the government provides up to 20% to a certain amount. Um, definitely something that you want to look into. Um, and it's just free money that's being left on the table. I know uh, FP Canada, I'm also the consumer advocate for an organization called FP Canada that certifies financial planners in Canada. And um, in one of our surveys about how tough it is for parents to really help their children uh, save for their post-secondary education and pay down their own debt, save for their own retirement, half reported that they were not aware of the grants, uh, government support, uh, tax advantages when it came to helping their children save and um, get through school. So it really underscores the importance of working with a professional like a certified financial planner that can help you identify that really free money that might be, might be leaving on the table. 
You have another great chapter in the book called All Show, and you know part of it is about keeping up with the Joneses. And another chapter that connects for me is your one called Shopaholics Anonymous. And I think there's that pressure to spend money, whether it's to give off a certain appearance or just this need to consume in general. How can we push back against all of that? Well, it's really hard because our brains are hardwired, number one, for instant gratification. And our brains are also hardwired to want what others have. There was a great study done by a University of Alberta professor and an Israeli professor, and they wanted to quantify the keeping up with the Joneses effect, you know, the Instagram effect, whatever you want to call it, FOMO, YOLO. And um, they found that for every $1,000 that your neighbor wins in a lottery, now, thank goodness, it's unlikely your neighbor is going to win the lottery, but if they did, for every $1,000 they win, your chance of going bankrupt increases by 2.4%. Now, that's crazy. Why would your chance of going bankrupt increase because your neighbor was doing well? Now, Kate, this could be an inheritance. This could be a raise. It could not be winning the lottery, but we know that when you immerse yourself in a certain group, if it's um, a group that saves a lot of money, if it's a group that spends a lot of money, we have something in our brain called the mirror neuron. And it lights up when we see other people doing what we want to do, what we want to have, what we want to become. And it's pretty hard to resist that. So I think the first step is actually just awareness, being aware that you know, we do have this default in our brain that when we see people driving the car, we want wearing the clothes we want, taking the vacation that we want, um, that our brain wants that too. And then also realizing, which is really hard. And I think that's why these conversations are so important that appearances are not as they appear, right? We're only putting our best on social media. We're only putting um, the snippets, the little moments of our life that look so fantastic. And yet all of us are judging ourselves on this. And just if we have a little awareness and step back, it, it certainly can help a lot. Last thing I want to ask, you also write in the book about leaving money on the table. And you mentioned that earlier in our chat as well. What are some examples of that? And how can women make sure they're maximizing their money in 2020? Mm-hmm. Couple of ways. Number one, negotiating your salary, negotiating your starting salary, and each subsequent um, opportunity that you have to ask for a raise. There's a book that I love called Women Don't Ask, and the authors um, estimate that by um, men and women not negotiating their starting salaries stand to leave half a million dollars on the table during their working lifetime, but they looked at the fact that men are four times more likely to negotiate their salary. And because of that, women actually stand to leave a million dollars on the table during their working lifetime. So yes, it's true, not all men negotiate, but women as a whole, we haven't negotiated as much or as, as easily. Uh, so that's certainly super, super important. And also in Canada, um, it's estimated that women and men leave three to $4 billion on the table in the form of employer benefits. This is matching programs, pension um, contributions, things of that sort. So please, if you are lucky enough to um, you know, have any type of an employer program, dig into it, dig into the matching program, uh, dig into the incentives that they're offering and make sure that you're not leaving that free money on the table. And if you need help negotiating your salary, we've got some tips in the book. Um, there's lots of great, um, great tips on YouTube and articles. Uh, you know, certainly practice with your, your friend, um, your friends, and maybe a coach before you do it. But just realize that, you know, there's 
even if you just earn a, an average income in your life, you're going to have millions of dollars flow through your hands via income. Um, making sure that that you negotiate that effectively is incredibly important. Such incredible information. So I will have all of the links that you need to find Kelly Keene and of course her fantastic new book, Talk Money to Me, Save Well, Spend Some and Feel Good About Your Money in the show notes at thismumloves.ca slash podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Kelly, and sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Kate. Such a pleasure. And that brings us to the end of this episode of This Mom Loves. As always, I would like to thank my fantastic podcast editor, Lucas Wojcicki. Thank all of you for being here. And you know, that typical line I always say, please, if you like This Mom Loves, tell a friend, rate and review it, even on Apple Podcasts, just a quick click to give it, you know, one star, two stars, three, four, or five. Five would be lovely. Um, And you don't even have to write anything out if you don't want to, but if you do leave a review, that would be great. Um, Again, it just helps more people to find the show and to know that it's worth listening to. And I do want to leave you with an interesting quote. So it's with an interview, it's from an interview with Michelle Obama in People Magazine. Um, And so the interview asked her, interviewer asked her, when you've been to the mountaintop, successful career, first lady, best-selling memoir of all time, Where else is there to go? What's next? And I just really like this reply. I suffer no illusions that I've reached any mountaintop. And really, I hope I never do. Accolades and accomplishments are nice, but I try not to let those be my metrics of success. Those are like our stats, where we went to college, what kind of grades we got, what kind of job we have. What I'm more interested in is our stories, the big choices, the turning points, the tiny little details that together make up a life. More than ever, I recognize that it's the smallest moments that matter most of all, the moments that you and you alone can savor. Becoming is a lifelong process, and I take a lot of comfort in that fact. I don't ever want to look around and think there is nowhere left to go. Because where's the fun in that? Until next time.